There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent more than four decades working in this game, fortunate enough to meet some of the legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watch them shine, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's NHL legend, you know him, a Stanley Cup champion, played over 1,000 games, nearly 800 points, a USA Hockey Hall of Famer, Eddie Olchuk. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the crave. Download the 7Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a 2-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7. Eddie, great to be catching up with you, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Gino. I guess we should let everybody know. First off, uh, Happy New Year. I think it's Happy still, with, I think we're still within the, uh, it's in know, the window. The, the, we're in the window. The boundaries of good yeah. taste yeah. to uh, wish each other a Happy New Year. <laughs> so uh, thank you for having me. And we should let everybody know we've been trying to do this for at least probably four or five weeks, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. And unfortunately for me, I've had a couple of travel disasters where <laughs> I tried to go from the Winter Classic to St. Paul. And ended up being diverted. And uh, at what point into- you were on the runway in Atlanta when we were yeah, supposed yeah, to be yeah, talking? Yeah. That was that was trying to get out. That was trying to get out of Dallas to get home for the holidays, and yeah. got stuck in uh, in St. Louis one night, and then eventually got to Mini to do a game for TNT. But I'm, I'm glad we finally been able to do it, and it's great to be with you. And I, I can't believe I, I remember as a young kid playing junior B hockey in Stratford, Ontario, when I was 16 years old, and I, I don't like where this is going, you, Eddie. I don't I like where this is going, brother. TV. I was watching you on TV back then, so it's great to be with you. And uh, I did hear you say your 7-Eleven podcast, and I do have to give this, uh, I guess, this selfish plug. Uh, my buddy, Joe DePinto, is the president and CEO of 7-Eleven, so a uh, shout-out to my pal, Listen, Chicago connected. Guy. Joe DePinto. Absolutely. Well, tell him thanks for the mug. I got a, I got a mug on set here, so I appreciate the mug. If you want to send me a Slurpee and figure out a way to keep it frozen until it gets here, that's... Stra- that's strawberry banana would be nice. I would, yeah, yeah, I would, I would, be, I would be down for that. that. You mentioned TNT. Uh, for those who are watching, uh, for the viewers who can actually see you instead of just listening, you got the TNT sweatshirt on. You've been with them for a little while right now. You've really become in fairness, a legend in broadcasting as much as you were in hockey with the stuff that you've been able to cover. Uh, two-time Emmy award-winning broadcaster. You're still working an awful lot. Um, When you look at the game where we are right now, how dramatically different would you say it is the game today versus the game that you played in? Are you a kind of guy who says, I'm really liking the evolution of where we've gone, or there's some things that have stood out to your mind where you go, I'm a little bit worried about this. Yeah. Well, first off, we appreciate the, uh, the kind words, Gino. Um, I mean, I, I love where the game is. I, I think that uh, we're in a in a really, really good place. I mean, sure, there's always 
their blemishes, uh, you know, every day. I mean, in, in, in every day, uh, you know, the life that we all live, but, yeah. you know, I think, I think our game, the national hockey league, I think is in a really good place. Uh, you look at the talent of the players and, uh, you know, I, I try not to compare, uh, you know, the era that I came in in 1984 with the Chicago Blackhawks or yeah. playing for 16 years. And then, as you mentioned, broadcasting and having coached in Pittsburgh for a couple of years as well. So, I mean, having a, a real good feel and, and the idea of the game and, and, and where it is. And, um, you know, I think the biggest difference, and I think anytime you start going down this uh you know, down this road is that I always wonder, and I think it's for great debate is, could you imagine uh, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. Mario Lemieux, yeah. um, Mike Bossies? Yeah. yeah, like playing in an era where there really is no clutching and grabbing. No clutching and grabbing, no hooking, right? no obstruction. Yeah. So, you know, that, that part of it for me would be always intriguing. And, uh, but I think that the game today, uh, it is, there's lots of parody. Um, I think it's a very, you know, for the most part, I think it's a very even league, which I think is great for business. And I think you got to tip your hockey helmet to the commissioner, Gary Bettman and deputy commissioner, Bill Daly for, you know, really kind of opening up and making change and, you know, now look at if, if you know, maybe the playoff system, as far as I'm concerned, again, I'm a dinosaur, you know, maybe that could be <laughs> tweaked a little bit. And, you know, would you like to see more uh, Rangers Islanders, you know, would you like to see, you know, more, uh, you know, rivalry games and divisions and just stay within division. And look, if you don't see a team for a year or whatever, you know, maybe you only play them on the road or at home. So I look at it. There is no perfect yeah. answer, but. Uh, but then there's I, the balance too, Eddie, because then you want to be able to see a McDavid. You yeah. want to be able to see an Ovi, even if you're playing sure. in the West. So I yeah. get that. I understand that. Yeah. You mentioned briefly the fact that uh, you spent 16 years in the league. Um, now it's kind of interesting because now you're on the broadcasting side. We're looking ahead to the NHL trade deadline. We want a lot of movement, but right. because of the hard cap, we don't get to see a lot of movement, but you're a guy who understood movement. <laughs> you played You played yeah. for six different organizations, eight different times you got moved. You got a couple of runs with the Hawks and the Jets. Does this time of year, I understand you probably enjoyed as a broadcaster, but does it trigger you as a player? I know you were dealt a lot of times away from the trade deadline as well, but just yeah. the word trade, does that trigger you? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, it just kind of brings back some uh, – some memories of knowing what it's like for these guys and for their families, most, most importantly, but I'll be honest with you, Gino, I really wasn't ever worried about the trade deadline, even though I was moved uh, there a couple of times over my career. Uh, it was more when my wife was pregnant or just had a child is when I, you got to tell, tell the story of when you found out you were going to the jets, you were a Toronto Maple Leaf. Yeah. yeah. You're, what were you like a couple of weeks of the season? You were probably like 18 games into the season. You, you yeah, tell us. it was uh, my wife went into labor on November 9th, 1990. And at that time, at least I didn't have a cell phone, Gino. I don't know no. if you did. I, I don't know if you pulled off. I think I had a cell phone that was the size of a briefcase. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Or Maxwell Smart. You pull yeah, off yeah. your shoe and Hello, you, Chief you start Max. talking into it. But um, so I just let the Leafs know that Friday night that uh, my wife's going into labor. I'm not going to be at the skate around the next morning at the garden. We were playing Chicago actually. And, but I was going to be at the game that night, hockey night, Canada, eight o'clock game. Yeah. So 
went there, spent the night at Scarborough Centenary Hospital. My wife wasn't cooperating. Nothing was really happening. I checked Dude, in. With she might people. listen to this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling the same story for, let's see, I go back to. No, but it's the cooperating part that I'm not sure that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I like to cl- I, I want to uh, I want to make sure everybody gets the uh, the real feel of the story, yeah, you know, yeah. because, yeah, I want to see our second child born. But you know what? Hockey night in Canada, Saturday night. I better get to the rink. You know, I got to I got to put on a show. So. Uh, I call. I checked in with the Leafs that morning. I called from the nurse's station. I said, look, my wife hasn't had the baby yet, but I'm going to be at the game. So at about 3.30, 4 o'clock, the doctor comes in. He goes, okay, time to put my catcher's mitt on. Okay, we're, it's time to have the baby or whatever, right? So things are progressing. Yeah. On a, on a scale of 1 to 10, Gino, my wife is probably about a 7, okay? Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm at, the, I'm at this side of the bed supporting her. The doctor's at the foot of the bed. And all of a sudden I get a tap on the shoulder and the nurse kind of looks at me and she hands me a piece of paper. And I'm like, and I look at the paper and it says the, the Maple Leafs are on the phone. They want to talk to you. And I go, not now, not, just now. not now I'll be at the game, you know? Yeah. And she leaves and she comes back and she goes like, they really want to talk to you. And I'm like, so I'm like this, Gino, I'm like, your wife must've been do pissed. Do I leave? Do I go? My wife's looking at me and, and I'm like, I don't, you know, so I don't want to say anything. So somehow gingerly, I sneak out of the room. I go to the nurse's station. Again, no cell phones. I get on the phone. It's Bob Selleck, longtime PR guy, yep. great guy, you know, Gordy's brother and, and, and what have you. And Bob goes, hey, how's Diane? I go, Bob, she's having a baby any second. I gotta go. I'll be there. He goes, well, call us before you come. I go, I'm not calling you. <laughs> and he goes, hold on a second. I'm like, hold on a second. Next thing you know, he answered the phone to the general manager, Floyd Smith. And Floyd Smith says, he, all he says to me is, Eddie, we hate to do this to you, but we just traded you to the Winnipeg Jets. And I went, you got to be bleeping me. You, you got to be. Are you kidding me? And he goes, well, we had to tell you because it's out already and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah. this is unbelievable. Like, so I'm stunned. Like, I'm only gone now, Gino. Maybe this all happened in a matter of two minutes. So now I'm like, well, what the hell do I do? <laughs> so I went, I went to the payphone, and I called my dad. I called my agent, uh, Billy Waters and Ricky Curran. I called Mark Osborne, who I got traded yeah. with to, to Winnipeg. And I called Gary Lehman. And I'm like, I can't believe this. So I'm gone probably, honestly. It was real quick conversations with everybody. It was probably no more than six minutes. I come back into the room. I walk into the room. My wife's obviously on her back. The doctor's at the foot of the, the, yeah. uh, the bed. He's got his rubber gloves on. He's got his mask on. <laughs> My wife looks at me and goes, where have you been? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, what the hell do there I say? There are probably some expletives inv- involved in there, already. I'm going to yeah, 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 censor well, this. It was really quick. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> my aunt is sick. You know, I didn't know what to say. My Good scramble. So she says, she, she, my wife's on her back and she looks at me. She looks at the ceiling and Gino, all she says is, where are we going? Oh, how the heck did she know? (laughs) And then I was like, pregnant and psychic. I'm like, this is unbelievable. And I said, guess. And she looks at me and looks at the ceiling. She says, Winnipeg. Come on. I'm like, how? We should have hired her as an insider. She could have been the original, her and Bob McKenzie could have been our original insiders. (laughs) So I'm like, well, and then, and then, then, Gino, I look at the foot of the bed and I see this pissed off look at the doctor. He goes, he, like, he, 
Like he sees, pulls back from the, the, the chair and he takes his gloves off. And I'm like, what's going on? He goes, oh, shut it down now. This, oh, she shut down. I mean, she just absolutely shut down. So he goes, now nah, it's going to be another couple hours now. I'm like, holy gee. So sure enough, about two and a half hours later, Thomas, Thomas Vincent Olchek came into the world. And then I went home that night, left for Chicago the next morning, oddly enough, because the Jets were in Chicago. I went there and played on Sunday, the 11th. We flew to uh, back to Toronto because the Jets played the Leafs on Monday night. I went to the hospital that day, played that night, stayed over, brought them home the next morning, and then eventually left on a plane to go back to Winnipeg because we played the next day. So uh, that's crazy. Yeah, like you, Gino, you remember the days? You remember the days where guys were on the road or they were on vacation? Oh yeah. Either they pick up a newspaper, yep. or they'd run into somebody and said, "Hey, you've been, tra- you know, you've been yeah. traded." It's like you couldn't get a hold of anybody. Now, obviously, it's instantaneously. But uh, yeah, uh, was in the delivery room of Scarborough Centenary Hospital when I got traded from Toronto to Winnipeg. That's unbelievable. I love hearing all the. I knew that you guys were having the baby at the time. I didn't know all the intricacies of the yeah. story, and you yeah. do tell it well. I'm not sure your <laughs> wife would appreciate certain aspects of it, but I mean, I'll leave that to you guys <laughs> to figure out. Uh, you you mentioned the Hawks, and you mentioned being able to play with Chicago. Yeah. I love your story of how you came up through the system because you were, you were a kid sensation. Um, I've heard numerous people say at that point, they thought you were the greatest young talent to ever come through the Chicago system and then ultimately be drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks. You were in a pretty intriguing draft where Lemieux yeah. went first overall, Kurt Muller went second and the Hawks so desperately wanted to be able to pick you not only did they move up in the draft, they also gave the devils some conditional picks, some futures to make sure that they wouldn't take you. They desperate. What was it like for you as a young kid growing up in Chicago in the area playing there and then thinking, Holy crap, this could actually happen. I could become a Hawk. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, I lived and died with the Blackhawks as a kid. I mean, I I was lucky enough to go to quite a few games and, uh, learned and watched and, uh, got the chance to go to the old Chicago stadium many a times with my dad. What a barn, eh? Uh, I was, uh, you don't make them like they used to. I guess I'll just, I'll just leave it like that. But, you know, I I think when I was starting to, you know, prosper as a peewee hockey player and moving up and then I left home and I mentioned I played junior B hockey in Stratford and played junior B there. I think it was in 82, 83. And, you know, I had an idea of what I was hoping to do and aspire to try to be a, a player in the National Hockey League. I didn't know how to get there. I just was like, took the next step. So yeah. I lived and died with the Blackhawks as a kid. And then all of a sudden it became my draft year after playing the Olympics in 1984 for Team USA. And, you know, I, I had visits with New Jersey, had visits with uh, Toronto. Um, and we all knew, obviously, that Mario, you know, Mario Lemieux was going to go number yeah. one overall in that draft. And I, I thought I was going to end up in New Jersey. So we're in Montreal. We're on the, we're in this, you know, we're in this crowd in the stands and at the forum. And, you know, Mario gets selected number one and he doesn't go down to the table. So that was like, you know, the theatrics yeah. of that where a player doesn't go down and shake hands with everybody like that was I mean, that was a hell of that a, was huge. It was. There was a lot of theater yeah. there. And um and, and then the Devils were on the clock and then the Devils selected Kirk Muller. And because we all thought you were going second overall. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was. I thought I was going to go to to New Jersey. L.A. had yeah. the third pick. Or uh, yeah, L.A. had yeah. the third pick, and and I knew I wasn't going to L.A. because they were looking at Craig Redmond, the defenseman out in yeah. Western, out in in, uh, out in I think Fraser Valley, maybe I think that was the name of where yeah. he played. But um, anyways, so I thought, well, I didn't get picked by as soon as I didn't think I got as soon as I wasn't selected by the Devils. I thought I was going to Toronto. Like I, I thought I was going to the Leafs at four. Yeah. And next thing you know, there's a timeout. And, you know, all of a sudden they say there's been a trade and now the Blackhawks have the third overall pick. And I mean, it was just like when that happened, Gino, you know, I was just like, am I going to get a chance to play for my hometown team? Oh, like I, I, like I, I couldn't because I had lived and died with them. I had sat in yeah. stands at the old Chicago stadium and, always envisioned and wondered what it would be like because I always was standing or sitting in the old stadium, looking through the glass out into the ice, always dreaming and wondering what it would be like to hear the anthem at the old stadium. And then sure enough, uh, Jack Davidson, uh, the assistant general manager for the Blackhawks at that time, the right-hand man for Mr. Pulford, Bob Pulford and Mr. Davidson said from the U S Olympic hockey team, uh, you know, he mentioned, he said my name and I was like, I can't, but I was like, it was, it was a dream. It was an absolute dream come true. And uh, to play my first game for the Hawks, eventually, as you mentioned, I came back at the end of my career. I played my yeah. thousandth game in a Blackhawks yeah. sweater and it eventually played my last game there. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't trade it in for the world. It was an unbelievable experience to, uh, to play it at home. And I'm proud to look at, I'm proud to say that uh, I was the first ever American born native son to be drafted by his hometown team in the first round of the NHL entry draft. So uh, when you can have the first of something uh, that they can never take that away from you. So very proud of that. And uh, was just very lucky with all the people that supported me all the, all the way through. That's awesome. We're in conversation with USA hockey hall of famer, Stanley cup champion, Eddie Olchuk. This is the seven 11 overtime podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You skirted by this pretty quickly and I was going to interrupt you, and I thought, you know what? I'll let you finish your point about the Hawks because it's spectacular, but I got to get back to it. Sure. Yes, you did play for the U.S. Olympic hockey team. <laughs> in case our audience heard or saw you say that, and went, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yes, he did. You played in Sarajevo as a 17-year-old for the U.S. Olympic hockey team on the diaper line with Pat LaFontaine <laughs> and David Jensen because you were all such kids. Yeah. I mean, it gives me tingles down my spine thinking of the thought of being able to play for your country. But to play for your country as a 17-year-old before you even did anything in the NHL, that must have just blown you away. Yeah, I never thought in a million years. Look, at I think the, the, the vision of getting that opportunity of watching the Miracle on Ice in 1980 really, I, I kind of think, really opened the door and said, look, geez, how, how great would that be to play in the Olympics at some point and, and yeah. go back then, you know, professionals, at least in North America, professionals were not no. playing in, playing in the Olympics. It wasn't a thing then. Exactly. So I thought in 1980, I had just, you know, was just turning 13 years of age when, when they won the gold medal in, in Lake Placid. And I thought, Gino, honestly, man, I, when I'm old, when I'm old, I'd like to play in the Olympics when I'm 21 or 25 <laughs> or, or whatever it is, you know, yeah. and follow in the footsteps of that 1980 miracle on ice. And then all of a sudden, my junior B year in, in Stratford playing with the Cullitans, uh, I got an invitation to try out for the U.S. Olympic hockey team as a 16 year old. And I just went to Colorado Springs and uh, and showed up and was like, you know, 
I'm here with a bunch of college guys and a couple of Olympians that had been on the 1980 team. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to go out and play. And they broke us. Dude, up you had nine played. points in six games. You, you weren't just a spectator. You played and you got yeah. points. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was uh, an incredible tryout. Uh, the interesting story about the tryout was, is they, they spread up, they, they split the 80 or 88 guys that were there into four teams. And I was on the East team and our coach at that, at that time in the select festival at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs happened to be the head coach of Providence college. And now the legendary Mr. Lamarillo, Lou Lamarillo was my coach. And he took all of the young guys. Like he had every young guy that was there, all the guys that were under 19 or 20 years of age. I think we had David A. Jensen and Ally Afraidy were on our team. And we had a little toughness in Neil Sheehy. So, you know, I, I built up a relationship and one of my mentors over the years has been Mr. Lamarillo. But I, I think back at that and just said, you know, I just had the opportunity. And was I intimidated? Yeah, I was intimidated. I was nervous. I'm there with guys that had won the gold medal and guys that were, you know, five, seven, eight, ten 10 years older than I was, but I had the opportunity and uh, I just obviously took advantage of it. Next thing you know, oddly enough, uh, on July the 4th of 1983, uh, they selected the, uh, the 28 guys that were going to, uh, you know, represent team USA at the Olympics in Sarajevo in, in February of 1984. And, uh, it was an incredible experience. Now, sure. you know, we didn't perform very well. Uh, we, we had a long schedule. We, we played, you know, I love telling people this story is like, and, and how I was able to get to the NHL at 18 years of age. So again, I hadn't been drafted yet, but yeah. we played in the central league that year. We played 24 games as a national team. League. Yeah. And we, they were scheduled games. Like they counted as points in these games because they didn't want to have an exhibitions. But the problem for us was, is that when we started getting up four and five to one on teams in the first period, all they wanted to do was beat the shit out of them. To us. run you over. All oh, right, exactly. They were like, you know what? <laughs> These little teenage punks, yep. you know, we're going to. And I mean, I got an introduction to minor league hockey and the central league. I mean, we were playing in Denver and Oklahoma. <laughs> and you right City. away said, I can't end up here, man. I need um, them at the end. Oh Cause I can't. Gosh, like it was an eye opener, man. Like there were some games. And so, you know, I think the schedule we played and, uh, you know, and we played team Canada, I think maybe 10 times or whatever. And the last game before the Olympics, we hammered team Canada. I think we beat them in Milwaukee, Gino, don't quote me, but I think we beat them like 10, three, like we, I mean, it wasn't even close. Yeah. Unfortunately for us, our first game in Sarajevo was against team Canada <laughs> And, and they can uh, still taste it. Uh, yeah. And Coach King uh, and his staff, uh, I think uh, Kerry Wilson uh, had a couple of points. I think Pat Flatley had a couple of points. Dave Tippett was Dave Tippett-like. Yeah. Um, and we ended up losing four to two. So we beat the Canadians, obviously, in the last you know preseason game. Yeah. And were we overconfident? Yeah, probably a little bit, but we just did not, you know, we just did not play well. And eventually we ended up finishing, I think, seventh in the Olympics. But it was an unbelievable uh, honor to represent our country, the U.S., at, in the uh, sporting world of, of ice hockey at the Olympics in 1984. And you had a lot of opportunity to do that too. I mean, it went on. You played in three Canada Cups. You yeah. got the silver back in 1991. You played five times at the World Championship. Yeah. Uh, being a young kid, I mean, you talked about how important it was to play for the Hawks as a kid growing up in Chicago, but you were also at the era where, where 
American occupiers were really starting to make a very significant impact. I mean, back in the days where, where you came in in the mid 80s, it, American hockey players were very much a minority right, players. Right. There were a lot of Canadians, a lot of Europeans, and then not a lot of Americans, certainly not a lot of Americans going high in the draft. So you saw a major shift. Yeah. How important you talked about how, how big it was to see the miracle on ice in 80. Yeah. How important was it for you now to be a part of this next wave of this is what we can do on in the NHL and on the international stage as an American player? Yeah, I think in international, it's, it's not just going to tournaments. It's going it, it's going to win tournaments. And yeah. I think that's where it really changed, I think, for for a lot of us. And look at that team opened up doors for us. There yeah. is no I mean, that team financing, was, you know, money, interest, well, coverage, everything. 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 Yeah. And I think it also sent a message to people that were making decisions at the National Hockey League. It's like, you know what? Neil Broughton, pretty good player. Dave yeah, Christian, yeah. pretty good player. <laughs> Kenny Morrow, pretty good player. You know, I mean, yeah. just, you know, I mean, even like, I mean, how about a guy like, and Joey Mullen wasn't a part of the 1980 yeah. Miracle on Ice team, but I mean, Joey Mullen, I mean, as good as a goal scorer that USA Hockey has ever developed, ever seen. you know? Yeah. So, and then you had, you know, then you had, you know, the Phil Housleys and the Tommy Barrasso's and the Patty LaFontaine's and, and, and guys that, you know, we got handed the rock and it's like, okay, now we got to start, you know, we got to start producing. Like we have to take that next step into the national hockey league and, and look at like, in my opinion, Chris Chelios has been the greatest American born hockey player ever to play in a national hockey league because wow. his longevity his longevity, the yeah. Norris trophies, the championships, um, the way he was able to play in every era and play every style. Yeah. Like, and, and you look at the, at the resume, to me, without question. To me, Patrick Kane has surpassed Chris Chelios and is the greatest American-born hockey player Whoa, ever. Whoa, Eddie. He, what he has been able to do, numbers-wise, internationally, yeah. National Hockey League, Stanley Cups. Stanley Cups, yeah. And looking at how he's been able to really help change the game for smaller players in the National Hockey yeah. League. And look at, I just think over time, and look at, there's still a bunch of chapters left for Kaner to, to write. And, that, and, that, yeah. and that's my opinion. He, for what he's been able to do, uh, to me, I think that he has taken that mantle from Chris Chelios. And look at that's a, it's a great argument. Like if you if you just take Kaner out of it because yeah. he's still playing, but if you look at it, I mean, you you can go in a lot of different directions when you look at American-born players from Mike Madano to Patty Lafontaine yeah. uh, to Joey Mullen to Mike uh, you know Madano and, and Jr. and you know Keith Kachuk. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And Brad Hollow likes the dual well, yeah, citizenship thing sure. there. Yeah, no, like we'll, he wasn't born we'll there. Give him but. about forty. We'll give him forty-five yeah. percent of the vote. You know what I mean? Okay. So you uh, mentioned uh, Patty Kane. Here's where yeah. I want to go with this because. Yeah. Patty Kane, one of the greatest, if not by what you're saying, greatest yeah. U.S. born hockey player. And he played for your team, Chicago Blackhawks. He's still with your team right yeah. now. He's got that full no move. He's in a tough spot, both he and Jonathan Taves right now, because they're playing out the last year of their deals. Do you want to see him move? 
Do you want to see him wave? Because over the next couple of weeks, apparently his management team is going to talk to Kyle Davidson and the Hawks and yeah. let them know whether he would wave because it's his choice. He could stay right. where he is because he loves right. it there. Right. He loves the city, loves the team, has a yeah. tremendous success there. Or he could pretty much write his own ticket yeah. and go somewhere else. Do you want to see him move? Do you think he moves? Um. I'm not sure if he does. I, I, I'm really not sure. I, I think, look, at his legacy. I mean, he's already is, won his cups. Yeah, right. His legacy has been cemented with yeah. the Blackhawks. He's going to yeah. have a statue. He's going to have his number raised to the rafters. He's, he's going to the Hall of Fame. It's going to be a first, yeah, first eligible ballot. No doubt and, about and, it. I think it's for him, obviously. I mean, it, it. you know, everybody goes back. I mean, it's his decision because he does yeah. have the full no movement yeah. clause. Yeah. But, but. The team, the organization, even if he does want to go, they, I mean, they don't have to move him. I mean, just no. because a player goes in there and says, you know, I want out. Or but, whatever, Eddie, they got to think to the future, man. No, no, he, no. Even I, if I he goes it. somewhere I, as a rental, he could always resign with them next I, year. 100%. I, I, I yeah. understand that. I, I, I understand that. And look, at and the Blackhawks are obviously in a major rebuild, and, and, it, yeah. and it's been well documented. But I think for, you know, for these guys – the salary cap number and, and Jonathan Taves in, in that team picture as well is that, you know, these guys certainly do dictate the terms and, and uh, um, if they do decide to go and they ended up making a deal, obviously for Patrick Kane more so than from, for Jonathan Taves, yeah. uh, it's going to be, uh, you would think a, a healthy return because a guy yeah. like Kaner could help in a lot of different ways and uh, be an impact player and look at he's still a difference maker i know he was out for a period of time being banged up and and what have you but um look at i i look at i think i answer it this way and this is probably the, the most politically correct way to say it and having we'll start being that, politically correct on me now eddie yeah yeah, no, no, yeah. We'll, we'll just keep it we'll keep it between us if 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 the guy over your right shoulder could be traded then, Gretzky, for those of you guys visually who can't see yeah, it, Gretzky. Yeah, like then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, things happen and, and people move on and decisions are made for a lot of different reasons. But look, at, I, I don't care what happens. He will go down. And then, and this is for debate. Where does he go down in the lore, regardless of where he is statistically within the Blackhawks franchise? Does he not go down? as the greatest Blackhawk in the history of the franchise, when you look at Stan and Tony and Bobby, but again, I go back to three cups, three Stanley cups and that run in that city and the Renaissance that franchise had is a direct result, obviously of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, Marion Hossa. But I look at that, Gino, and his... All of them legends, all of them Hall of Famers. He, he is cemented there forever, regard, yeah. regardless of what happens. Uh, I think for Patrick Kane, it's all about, you know, what what is going to make him happy. And for me, uh, that's all I would want for a guy that, uh, you know, both those guys um, that I respect immensely. Forget the hockey part, but just as, yeah. uh, as people. And uh, I just want what's what's best for them. And, and hopefully they'll be able to work that out for the franchise as well. What's it like for you uh, watching the tank job that's going on right now with the Hawks on the downside? It's rough to watch the organization going through that on the upside. They're putting them pretty, put themselves in pretty good shape in the Bedard bowl for uh top yeah, pick in the draft. Uh, I think 
I don't think lately, though, because I think they've won five or six or whatever. Yeah, years. there's lots of times, Eddie. There's almost yeah. a half a season still to go. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look at when I was look at I lived it when I was coaching in Pittsburgh. I, I, I was living yeah. it in Pittsburgh. I know exactly, uh, you know, what it's like when you are in a rebuild. And hey, look at quite frankly, and I think the organization knows this, um, is that the understanding is that probably realistically the rebuild probably should have started a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but they chose to try to continue on. And I think try to retool instead of the rebuild. And it just, well, yeah, happen. right. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day is like, if, if, if you are, you know, you, you gotta be all in or you gotta try to, you know, to, to be a playoff team. You know what I mean? Like being in the middle now is just not, it's, it's just not conducive to yeah. a rebuild. No one wants to be mediocre. No, no. And a rebuild or a retool, however, whatever verbiage everybody wants to use. And, and I think, Kyle and his staff, Kyle Davidson, that is a general manager with Blackhawks. Certainly they, they, they know where they were. They know where they are. And I think they know where they're trying to get to. And uh, it's been a tough go here the last little while, but they've got a plan. Uh, it looks like they're going to stick to it. Um, but look, at there are no guarantees. Like that's the one thing is that, you know, just because, and I lived it in Pittsburgh, you know, we, we were the, we were dead last in the national hockey league and, yeah. and uh, you know, we didn't end up getting Alexander Ovechkin. We ended up, I mean, you know, we got a nice fallback, so to speak, yeah. in air quotes with, with Evgeny Malkin, you know, but yeah. like it just, it, that's just the way that it goes sometimes. And, and there are no guarantees that if you finish dead last, you're going to get the first overall pick. And obviously Bedard looks like one of those generational players. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7Now delivery app and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say, fuel me up, Sev. You know the Crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now for just 11.69 order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza add a two liter coke or pepsi for two dollars 7-eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of slurpee groceries essentials meals snack and treats 24 7 we're in conversation with usa hockey hall of famer eddie olchuk uh, 16 seasons in the NHL with six different organizations and leaving some incredible numbers, uh, better than 800 points for your NHL career. I want to ask you about your your health. You went through a hell of a scare back in 2017, a cancer scare. To the degree that you feel comfortable sharing, let us know how you're doing. How are you feeling? Yeah. You know, Gino, I've been uh, been very lucky when it comes to uh, to getting healthy from my stage three colon cancer uh, cancer battle back in, as you mentioned, in uh, 2017. And uh, you know, my life changed, my family's life changed uh, forever. Uh, when on on August the fourth at 7:07 p.m., I got a, a call from my uh, from my surgeon after having a six and a half an hour six and a half hour surgery of removing a tumor the size of, of, of my fist and, wow. uh, calling me at that time, uh, at that 7.07 PM on August the 4th and just telling me that, uh, I've been diagnosed with a stage three colon cancer and we're recommending six months of chemotherapy and, uh, we'll reassess from there. And my life changed. My family's life changed. We had no cancer in our family. And, uh, 10 days before that call, I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't go number two, just quite frankly. I, I, yeah. I was constipated. I couldn't go to the bathroom. It wasn't normal for me. And I think like a typical guy, I just went to the uh, pharmacy and tried to grab some prune juice and Metamucil yeah. and try to work itself out. And 
I didn't say anything. I kept my mouth shut. And then eventually, if you can't go to the bathroom that way, it's coming out another way. And I got violently sick. And uh, so, you know, they went and had that six and a half hour surgery. And, uh, and all of a sudden I had a tumor, you know, and they asked me, you know, like when, you know, they just, they asked me like, did you notice anything? I said, like, I, I no, I, I had a little bit of pain. And then all of a sudden I couldn't go to the bathroom. And sure enough, I had my very first uh, chemo treatment. I would take chemo every two weeks for six months. I would take it for 48 hours. I would take four hours. Uh, at the hospital in Chicago at Northwestern hospital. I took it for four hours and then they would send me home with a fanny pack. I had a port in my chest and it would go off every 90 seconds and uh, they would unhook it 48 hours later. And my first treatment happened to be on September 11th, 2017. And I remember going home that day and, and, uh, and just, you know, I was scared. I was afraid. Uh, I didn't want to die. Anytime I heard the word cancer, I just always associated cancer with death. Yeah. And, uh, it was, it was rough. Like it really, it not only tests your will to live, uh, but it puts a lot of pressure and strain, uh, on your family and, and the people around you. And I think I hit rock bottom. Gino is when I got to treatment too. Uh, I came home from the, from the hospital and I went down into my basement and I lived in my basement 20 hours a day and lived down there for six months. And, uh, I got a nosebleed. I had very bad headaches. Uh, I developed a blood clot in my leg and no other way to say it, but I just shit the floor. Like I couldn't, could not control my bowel movements. And I just, I was ready to quit, Gino. I I was ready Mm -hmm. to quit. And I had never quitted anything in my life, whether people would tell me I couldn't make the Olympic team when I was 16, couldn't make it to the Blackhawks. Uh, I couldn't be the first ever American board lead, uh, American board lead analyst on national TV down here in, in the States, or maybe being down 200 bucks at the racetrack. I, okay. Check that maybe 2000 at the racetrack. Okay. <laughs> I was never going to quit, yeah. but I was ready to quit. I was scared. I was angry. I'm like, I can't get through today. How in the hell am I going to get through the next five months? Like I I just was ready to quit. And I got the greatest inspirational speech from my wife, Diana. And, uh, she came downstairs when I was at my lowest and she just grabbed me and looked at me and she says, look, you got to fight. Like you got to fight for me. You got to fight for our kids. And you got to fight for all the people that love you. You can be an example. You, you need, you know, like you need to just kind of wake up. And, 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 and I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I was not. Uh, I just was like, I was beat up. I would look at, I was on the, on the chemo and I was on steroids and, you know, like I, there are a lot of things going on and, and I cried, you know, my wife talked to me for 25 minutes and I cried for 30 and I'm like, okay. Like, okay, I'm scared, I'm hurting, but you know what? I'm just going to go day to day. And so I kind of put my hockey helmet back on, you know, and got back into that mentality of, you know what? Like, I'm just going to battle and whatever happens, happens. Whatever people say, whatever the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the spotlight may be because, you know, you're so-called, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, somebody in the, in the limelight or in the media. Yeah. Like I, I would have loved Gino to just 
gone underground and, and not because because when you're sick, you feel like you're a burden. You feel like you yeah. let people down. Like the hardest conversation I had to have, you know, was with my four kids. Because how is that? How, how am I affecting them? Not only psychologically, but, you know, did I pass this gene on to them? How is this going to affect them? Mm-hmm. Those are all the things that were yeah. in my head. And so I put my head to the pillow that night, you know, the 15th of September. And, and, and I was like, okay, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to battle. And you know what? And if I shit the floor, okay, well, then that's what happens. Then, then, you know what? Then I, I'm going to just have to live with it, obviously. And I'm going to just, I'm going to battle. And, I, you know, people ask me, Gino, after the fact is like, having gone through what you did, it's probably the most common question I get is like, do, you know, do you look at life differently now than you did when you got sick? And the obvious answer is yes, but I think more so from the petty things, you know, like, you know, me being late today for, for, for our, for our podcast, me being on your podcast, right? Like I had something come up and I got to deal with it and I just, okay, well, take a deep breath. And when it's done, it's done. Hopefully people understand or sitting in traffic or missing a plane or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And, but I think I've always tried, I hope that I've always tried to let the most important people in my life know how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I learned it just to let them know, say, Hey, you know what? My life is better with you in it. I love you more than anything. I love you unconditionally. Just so you know, is that God forbid, if something that would ever happen to me, because you know, we're all day to day in the big picture yeah. Yeah. is that I always let those people know I try and I still try can always improve and do a better job of it. But and they would all say the same thing. Ah, stop talking like that. Nothing's going to happen. And I know nothing's going to happen. But, but I think what helped me get through after I had my lowest time is that I was at peace. Because when I put my head down and closed my eyes at night, if it happened to be for the last time, at least the most important people knew how great my life has been with them in it. And... I was at peace and I didn't want to go anywhere and I wanted to fight like hell, but I think that that helped me. If that makes any sense, that however I thought about that, that helped me get through the most difficult time in my life. And the one thing I will add, and, and I'll wrap it up is that we as a society, I don't care what it is. We as a society have to make sure that we are looking out not only for the people that are going through these battles, whether it's psychologically or physically or a combo or whatever it is, to always check up on them and send them, send them, him or her a text, call them, email, whatever it is, stop by, knock on a door, check on them, whatever. But as well, Gino, I never saw my wife down. Mm. I never saw my wife worried around me. I sure know is that when she was around, she let her guard down and was hurting. We need to make sure we are taking care of the caretakers and caregivers and call them and reach out to them. Hey, how are you doing? You know, obviously it's, it's not easy because there are a lot of things that are going through their mind. And I think that's one thing that my wife and I really learned through this whole battle that it is, I I would have never made it without my wife and my kids and my team of doctors and my family. 
the hockey world, the horse racing world, Gino, I would have not. I, I, I would not. I was not a very tough player. I, I knew where to go to play in the National Hockey League. You had to be tough to play in the show mm-hmm. back in 1984 to, to the year 2000 that I played. Um, I proved to myself I'm way tougher than I ever thought. Mm-hmm. And I thought, look, if somebody knows my story, if somebody knows what I went through and the transparency and honesty that I showed through my battle, um, that if I could help one person get through the day, then it was well worth me telling my story or writing my book or being on a show like yours, Gino. So I appreciate the ability to be able, you know, to, to, uh, to share that and, and to talk to people about it. And the one thing that I will end with, and I promise on this is that I've tried behind closed doors and no limelight and no cameras and no radio or internet or whatever it is, is that, I've unfortunately talked to thousands of people. Unfortunately, in a way of people that are ill, not unfortunately of me communicating with them, but learning and hearing stories and in being able to relate, because when you talk to somebody that has been in the battle and has had cancer and they're living it, you could say the same thing or somebody that has been lucky enough not to been tapped by it. You could say the same exact thing, Gino. It's like when you tell our kids, right? Like, yeah, don't play with this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Do that. And all of a sudden, somebody really important comes in and says, don't do that. Well, oh, wow, that's a great idea. Well, I've been telling you that for the last 35 (laughs) years. But I think in in my journey of talking to people and just trying to be a sounding board for them and and shooting texts to them and letting them know I'm thinking about them or just somebody reaches out. I mean, look at these thousands of people. 99.9% 99.9% of the people I don't, I have not known. Yeah. But so to talk to people about really private stuff is, is, is it's, uh, it's gratifying. It's, uh, it's satisfying. Uh, it's an opportunity to help somebody. But the one thing that I have learned is that people, and I'm very, look, I don't know why I've been able to make it this long. I don't, I, I really don't. I am blessed by, you know what, I I can't believe it. But the one thing that I have been dealing with and that people that are survivors is survivor's guilt. Mm. Because when you come in contact with people that have lost loved ones, um, you know exactly they're thinking, how did my loved one not make it? And you did. And, And that is a real... That's a real issue for a lot of people. And, I, and I've had a difficult time of trying to be there for everybody. But then also, too, is the understanding is that I've been, I, I've been dealing with, with that uh, all along. And you know what? Look, if I can make, if I can be a difference in somebody's life and talk to them and, and just help them get through it or understand it or, or get a different feel, I'm all for it, but there also goes with that survivor's guilt. And, and I never knew anything. And like, after I wrote my book, I wish I would have learned about that because I think that's something that, you know, maybe kind of goes under the radar. And I think that happens in all walks of life, especially when you're talking about, you know, the, you know, the ultimate price. Um, so I, like, I, I had an unbelievable team of doctors. I had incredible support by the Blackhawks. 
and at that time by NBC, my two employers, and um, I couldn't have done it by myself. And I will add, and I, and I will end at this, is that the people that I work with in our game and the people that I've come across, to, you know, whether it was my partner in Chicago, the Hall of Famer, Pat Foley, or working with the great Doc Emmerich, um, you know, those guys really, really helped me through and checking on me and calling me and, yeah. and just, you know, trying to keep my spirits up. So I, I was very lucky. I had an unbelievable team and, uh, but I'm feeling good. And, uh, you know, I go back every, you know, now I've, I've reached a couple of mile markers where I go back now. I'm actually going back on February 1st for another checkup. And, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, knock on wood, uh, we're, we're, we're clean and clear. And, uh, and that's, and that's the plan because I got a couple of grandkids now, Gino, and I want to be, <laughs> I want to be around uh, watching uh, Audrey Marie and and uh, and uh, Eddie Christopher uh, and Eddie is actually Eddie the fourth. So my dad wow. is an Ed, I'm an Eddie. My oldest son is an Eddie, and his son is an Eddie. So we got to four generations of uh, Eddie Olchek. So maybe uh, if I do the quick math here, let's see, eighteen years, Eddie Olchek. <laughs> maybe he'd be a uh, you know maybe be a draft pick in 2040 for some team in the National Hockey League or for whatever he wants yeah. to do, but. We can all dream, that's for sure. Wow, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you for, um, you're an inspiration on the ice. You're an inspiration. You've been and continue to be an inspiration in the broadcast booth. And now with your story, with your journey, with your battle for cancer, the greatest battle that you've had to go through. You've been tremendous and continuing to be a tremendous inspiration is that as well. Thank you for sharing your story, pal. I really Thank you, appreciate you know, this. Always, always great to see you. Keep up the great work and uh, look forward to uh, doing it again at some point here uh, down the road. Be well, my friend. You too, pal. Thanks. Wow. Uh, Eddie Olchek with his very impassioned, emotional story. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot from the oven pizza and wings, pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, and a loaf of bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. Here are a couple of hot, tasty ways to crush the Crave. Download the 7-Now delivery app, and 7-Eleven will have your hot and delicious Crave crushers to your door almost before you can say... Fuel me up, Sev. You know the crave I'm talking about. The one that's whispering wings or pizza in your ear right now. For just $11.69, order a large hot from the oven in minutes pepperoni pizza. Add a two-liter Coke or Pepsi for $2. 7-Eleven is your go-to for fast delivery of Slurpee, groceries, essentials, meals, snack and treats 24-7.